that this is going to be a key message in your life that's going to help you in a great way uh, not to feel condemned when you read any Old Testament text uh, that seems to uh, contradict the goodness of Jesus Christ. The purpose of Dynamic Love Web Church is simply to get people established in the message of what God has done for us so that we can find that we can see you have the life of God bring forth the fruit of God in your life. That's what it's all about. It's not about um, you following a ministry or anything like that. It's all about seeing the life of God manifest in your life. And we've seen that in many people's lives. And I've had a wonderful trip to Canada uh, uh, and to Ireland. Um, I guess I didn't even give a, a feedback on that, but we've had a wonderful trip to Canada and Ireland. Many people, uh, I mean, we met many people that uh, fellowship and listen to the messages on YouTube, especially YouTube. I was amazed to see how many people don't even go to our website, but just go to YouTube and listen to the messages and are uh, encouraged by that. And that they would drive out to these meetings and we would meet with them and see uh, just how blessed they are and how the message has encouraged them and touched their lives. As well as uh, in Ireland, you know, there are many people hearing this message for the very first time, impacted by this good news for the first time. And that was great for me. That excites me. Because in my heart, there's also a little bit of an evangelist. I want to see uh, people hear this, people that has never heard this. So uh, for those of you that uh, came to some of those meetings, thank you so much for being part of that. It really blessed me. For those of you that um, helped sponsor the trip, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. Now let us just pray together and we're going to get right into the Word. Father, I want to thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. I want to thank you for your kindness. I want to thank you for who you are. Thank you that you bring peace to our hearts. Thank you that you bring love and kindness and who you are to our hearts, that we can experience your quality of life. That's what it's all about. And thank you, Lord, even if we are a place where we might just know about this and not experience this, you are the one that will bring forth that experience. Maybe there are people, Lord, that are watching today for the first time that says, what is this grace message all about? What is this love of God thing all about? I thank you, Lord, that each one of them will be deeply impacted. Holy Spirit, speak powerfully through me and just communicate this truth to people in a powerful way today. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Today I want to speak on, um, you know, the, the, the love of God that supersedes knowledge. I want to talk about the love of God that is greater than our traditional understanding of God. One of the greatest things that we need to realize is that we live out of our hearts. We live out of what we believe God believes about us. Let me say that again. Your life is shaped out of what you believe God believes about your life. I want to say that again. Your life is shaped by what you believe God believes about your life. Every one of us in some form lives inside the mind of God. We live inside what we think He thinks about us. And some people just got so upset with God being an angry God, an upset God, and those kind of things, that they are just saying, well, God, I don't want anything to do with you. Get out of my life. Um, on the other hand, we find people that try to get God to think good about them. And um, 
you know, from there they live. So it's very important to believe what God believes about you. God's faith, what God believes, is the greatest truth there ever is, and it's unchanging. It can never, ever change. So what does he believe? Now, when we take the Bible and we look at what happened traditionally in Christianity, not just Christianity, but in our knowledge of God, we start with Genesis chapter 1, and we read about God creating a garden and all those kind of things. Then we, a major event is, is, is where Adam and Eve sinned. And from there, we read all the accounts that God had with people. We read so many accounts. And through those accounts, we come to a certain knowledge about God, about man, about God's purpose with us, about our purpose on the earth, about how we need to deal with one another, about what is holy and what is not holy, what is righteous, what is not righteous. It's all shaped from this, uh, from what we see, or what we would call the encounters of man with God in the Old Testament. And from there, our, our knowledge basis is shaped and formed. And that happens over like four or 5,000 years from Adam to, um, to Jesus. And then Jesus comes onto the scene, and we see basically just a three-year encounter uh, with that Jesus had with the Father, and we want to, and then we read that, and what we then do is we try and mix all these experiences, what um, Adam and Eve experienced, or what they wrote down, or what Moses wrote down, or what the writers of the Bible wrote down, and we, we take all those experiences and we try to make sense out of God. And we find some of those experiences contradicting one another. It sounds like contradiction. Uh, like, for instance, if you take Elijah. Elijah called fire from heaven and consumed the prophets of Baal. So, and then here, I mean, he had fire from heaven consuming people. He was, um, he, he, was up, he would get upset and, 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 you know, people would die. Things like that would take place. And from there, we shape our view about God. We shape our view about God. From there, we shape what we believe God actually believes about us. From there, um, is shaped what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about one another. And our heart is formed out of that. And from there, uh, our life issues, our life comes forth. And the, a life that comes forth from a wrong understanding about God would be a life of destruction, would be a life of pain, would be a life of turmoil. So we look at all these encounters, including Jesus, and we want to add that together. And then we can even go to encounters that people had after Jesus um, walked upon the earth, like with Peter and Ananias and Sapphira, where they dropped dead. And we, we look at that, and it's almost as if that confirms what the Old Testament said about God. And with all of that, we've got this, we put all of that into the broth, and we cook up this meal, uh, which we call the gospel. And from there, we want to have life and peace. Uh, but what if some of the encounters that people had, and what they 
um, what they wrote down was only in the light of their understanding or in the light of their culture and those kind of things. And what if Jesus actually came and brought forth the, the truth about God? And what if the book of Acts is actually just the Acts of the Apostles recorded? From where we can look at that and see Jesus and look at, at, at how men that lived in the Old Testament grabbed the hold of the New and uh, and how the, the, where the acts were written down, and how we can actually see God taking people out of legalism over years and bringing them into truth. What if that is all the truth? You know, uh, can't we look at things that way? I think we can. Now, I want to read a verse that is, you know, the other day I read it, and it was shocking to me when I read it. I've read that verse so many times, and in the week I put something on Facebook about it, um, but I want to just preach on that. It's not going to be a long message, but it's going to be something that you can really think about and that can help you to have peace when you read contradicting information. When there's a knowledge that wants to exalt itself above the obedience of Jesus Christ. Now the Bible says there that there, you know, sometimes there's a knowledge that wants to exalt itself above the obedience of Jesus. So, um, which is a problem? <laughs> You know, um, which is something that can bring destruction to your life. So now, let us go to Galatians, oh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm going to read an awesome uh, uh, verse there. Now, a little bit of background on Ephesians. Ephesians 3 talks all about Jesus, uh, it talks all about the inclusion of the Gentiles into the salvation plan. Because this is what people believe. They believe only the Jews will be saved and uh, and, and that's how it will be. But here, Paul comes and he writes something that was above the knowledge that the Jews had. And he came with a different knowledge. I mean, the Jews had this knowledge. This was their knowledge. Their knowledge out of their experience with God, out of the giving of the law, out of the obedience of Moses, out of them being led out. This was their knowledge. That This was the depth of their knowledge uh, in connection with the encounter God had with Abram. I mean, God said to Abraham that he need to circumcise, be circumcised and his children and all the people that work for him, they, they needed to be circumcised. And then he didn't want to be circumcised. And the Bible says basically that, and the way I understood that God hunted him down. You know, and then he took a sharp rock and uh, w was circumcised. You know, so we, we look at that. Was that really an encounter with God? Yes, it was an encounter with God. Um, is it documented that the, the way the encounter was? Yes. Does it give us a knowledge about God and a knowledge about uh, the relationship people had about God? Yes, it is a knowledge. And it is scriptural. It is found in the scriptures. Um, and with that in mind, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 3. Now, Paul comes and he basically says that um, in verse 6, he talks about, let, let, let me read from verse 5. It says, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man. And you know what, I actually have to read this from verse 1 to, for it to make sense. Let me read this. It says, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given me to you, 
how that by revelation, or this was the appearing where Jesus appeared to him, he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore to you in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So what he says here, he says, listen, I'm a prisoner, and the reason I'm a prisoner is because I've been preaching the gospel to you guys. That's what he's saying. He says, he says and, and you've heard of my, the message that was given to me, this dispensation of grace that was given to me, you were. In other words, I was given an empowerment of God, like a, a, a divine influence upon the heart, to go and preach to the Gentiles. He says, and this happened to me by revelation. And that revelation wasn't Paul reading his Bible one day, and then, um, you know, he got a revelation from the Scriptures. But that was actually Christ appearing to Paul. Then he goes on, and when Christ appeared to Paul, he explained to him that the Gentiles would also be partakers. And then, he, this, this is it, he says here, it, it, then he says, that which was not known to man, God revealed to me. Let's read it. He says, whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. So what, is, what he's saying is that if you read all the Old Testament text, if you read about all the encounters, and he says, which was not known, made known to the sons of men, he says, listen, this thing people didn't know, but God actually revealed his love for me and his love for the Gentiles. That is what he's done. He's actually revealed to me his love for mankind. He says here, I read verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ by the gospel. Now, people, when we read that passage where it says that we should be made partakers of the promise of Christ in the gospel, that doesn't mean we are now, doesn't refer to Deuteronomy 28, where all the promises to the Jews was made, and that means now all those promises are ours. When it talks about the promise made through Christ was that man would inherit immortality, that man would conquer all sin, that man would conquer all death. That is what it's all about. So he says here that it wasn't only the Jews, but the Gentiles as well, and that they could be made partakers of this immortal life through the good news, the declaration that a man, Jesus, conquered all sin and conquered all death, and since he conquered my sin and my death, that we can have that life of victory. Then it goes on, it says, Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So what Paul is saying here, he says that the unsearchable riches of Christ was not made known to men before. So when we read any passage um, before then, <laughs> we need to read it from the perspective that the unsearchable riches of Christ was not made known to those people. It was not made known to David. It was not made known to Elijah. It was not made known to Elisha. It was not made known to Malachi. It was not made known to any of the Old Testament people. It was not made known to them. They came and they looked at certain encounters and they wrote it down from their perspective. 
And, um, and from that, there was a knowledge about God in the earth. The knowledge about God in the earth was the following, and I want to just share it in short. It was that God made man, man sinned. Out of that, out of that God picked a nation, picked a person, Abraham, and from there, people came forth, a people group called the Jews, um, or basically the Israelites, and um, these Israelite people were called the people of God, and that God loved them, but in the midst of God loving them, He gave them a law, and this law they had to obey, and in accordance to their obedience to that law, He would show them uh, favor, or He would help them, or bless them, and even according to that obedience or disobedience to the law, He would manifest His mercy and His grace. So, he, if they would disobey, God could just forgive them. That also happened. Uh, when they would have, would have died, He would overlook uh, their sin. And the whole knowledge that there was about God and God's dealings with man was based and founded in a master or a God that had His people that He wanted to bless and prosper the way in which he would do that is he would give them a law, they would obey that law, live by that law, and by that law, every action God has towards them would be defined. And from that, they had knowledge about the character of God, they had knowledge about the way God deals with people, they had knowledge about how, who, how God would treat people, who God would hang out with or not. For instance, when Jesus came and he was upon the earth, a prostitute woman came and washed his feet, and the Pharisees, in their knowledge about God, came and said that if he was really a man of God or a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman this is and would not have hanged out with her and wouldn't have allowed that. So they had a knowledge, a knowledge that God would reject such a person. That was their knowledge. Their knowledge was that God would punish, bring fire, destroy any disobedience. And we can see that, and I mentioned that two weeks ago as well, when, when, when we look at the sons of thunder that wanted to call fire down on some of the towns of Samaria, and they, want, and they said, as Elijah called fire down, shall we call down fire? So their knowledge, the knowledge that they lived in was that God looked at something, there was a disobedience, and then God would punish and kill if you don't obey. That, is, that was their knowledge. Now, with that in mind, let's read from verse um, 14. It says, For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, so he says, for this course, the course that, that he's preaching to them and he wants them to have the gospel. He says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ. Now, what he's saying here, a very important part, he says, I pray that the Spirit will strengthen your inner man. Now, the way I see at strengthening 
is, I mean, there are many ways we can look at it, but one of the things I see is, if you have been preaching the law or believing the law or believing that you've been disqualified for a long time or you are um, strong in your way of thinking and a contradicting message comes, a message that contradicts what you normally believe, a message that is against what you believe, the moment that, that that happens, in order for you to grab the new, <laughs> you have to be strengthened in the inner man. Your inner man has to be strengthened. And, the ho- and this is what he prays. He says, I pray that the Holy Spirit, the kindness and the goodness of God, will strengthen your inner man. He say, and why? He says, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints the dimensions, how high, how wide, how deep, and how long, the love of Christ is that you may, let me read that again, that grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the man, in the inner man, that you may dwell, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. In other words, that you may believe in Jesus and in the immortality he is to bring forth. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So what he says here, he says, I want Christ to dwell in your heart. Because as Christ, the the finished work of Jesus, dwells in your heart, as the belief that Christ has conquered your sin, conquered your death, and will give you immortality, starts to dwell in your heart as you start to believe that, that's when you start to see and understand the dimensions of the love of God. And then it says, this love of Christ supersedes or passes knowledge. Now, that word passes knowledge basically means to take something and to throw it. Um, Not caring where it lands. So what it says here is that the love of Christ passes knowledge. In other words, it can reach further. It, it outstretches the knowledge that we had about God. Let me read that again. Verse 19, And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what he's saying here is, that the first thing that he said there is that the knowledge that they had back then, the knowledge of the old, their knowledge of God, their knowledge of the covenants, their knowledge of who God was and what the personality of God was and all those kind of things, that knowledge they had there could not fill them with the fullness of God. It could not fill them with the fullness of God. It was impossible to be filled with the fullness of God. For it says here that only the love of Christ which passes knowledge, once that is obtained, that will fill you with the fullness of God, which I believe includes immortality, immortal human body, which we have the first fruit of his fullness now, which is love, joy, peace, and all those kind of things, signs, wonders, and miracles, the supernatural, all of that, what we would call a born-again experience, all those things we can have now, and we will even see that fulfilled in the immortal human body. Right, so what he says here is, 
I pray that you will be strengthened in the inner man, that you, being rooted and grounded in his love, may be able, in other words, I, I want you to be strengthened by his goodness in your heart, that your heart is established in the love that God has for you. Because as your heart is established in the love that God has for you, you will start to find that Christ dwells in your heart by faith. And as he dwells in your heart by faith, you will see what effect this love of God in Christ will have in your life. It can reach much further in making you holy than the knowledge of the law could ever reach. It can reach much further in the empowerment on giving you true peace and joy than what any other thing could ever reach. So, we need to say this, and this is the point that I want to make in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, meaning the love of Christ passes the revelation of God in the Old Testament. That means that if you want the truth about God, you will much rather find that in what Christ has done for you than in the Old Testament perspective about God. Now, even Peter in the New Testament, Peter in the New, he didn't have it all in one day. He didn't. Uh, Peter would become very upset. I wanted to see people actually die when, um, when they would disobey. Like Simon the sorcerer, he came and um, he basically also wanted the Holy Spirit. He says, I want the Holy Spirit. I see these people have the Holy Spirit. And I also want the Holy Spirit. Now, if somebody comes to me and say to me, I also want the Holy Spirit, what can I pay? How much money can I pay to get the Holy Spirit? I also want this power. I also want these kind of things. I mean, if they come to you, what are you going to say to a guy that says, I also want the Holy Spirit. How much money can I pay for him? Are you going to say, you son of death, you bad person, pray to God that he may forgive you for how can you buy the Spirit of God, you ugly thing? Are you going to say that? No, but that's what Peter said. Peter said that. Why? Because we find in the life of Peter, and I'm not nailing Peter here, but people, we need to read Scripture just in the context of life, in the context of how these people lived. And Peter would be upset and he would say certain things and, and, and it would just be, my goodness, you know. Um, Peter, wouldn't that be a little bit harsh? Are you, aren't you a little bit harsh on this guy? You know, the Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So what that means is that God can tell you something and the, the way you present it is up to you. So God could tell Peter something, but the way in which he would present it would be up to him. He would come, you know, and he would um, uh, uh, be so upset with people that want to buy the Holy Spirit. Well, if, you, if, you, if I find somebody that want to buy salvation, you know what I would say to him? I'm not saying I'm better than Peter, but this is just the revelation of the goodness of God that's in my life. I would say to him, my brother, you, you cannot buy salvation. It is for free. Let me explain the gospel plan to you because this way of thinking can destroy your life. Or, you know, you can find another preacher in today's day and age that will just come and say, you know, we just hope God can forgive you. That's the kind of thing, you know, that Peter kind of said. He was like, 
You know, we hope God, it's just a hope that God can forgive you for this bad thing you've just done. In the meantime, just before that, here's Peter denying the Lord thrice. He denies the Lord three times. After denying the Lord three times, Jesus goes and he says, go and tell my disciples and Peter. So what we are seeing and what we can learn out of this is very simple. It is that man takes, it takes time for man to understand the dimensions of the goodness of God. In order for me to come to the point where I understand what I understand today and see the things that I see today, it took the Lord like 24 years. I'm talking about 20, 1989, what is that, 25 years to get me to the point where I understand some of the things I understand now, which I still think is very elementary, still starting out um, in understanding, so excited that I understand certain things in the hope of the fruit of what this will bring and also in the embrace of the fruit it already brings. So I want to say to you that the love of Christ passes knowledge. So if somebody had a certain experience about, with God in the Old Testament and a certain knowledge, like, you know, the fact that there is knowledge out there, even if it's an experiential knowledge, let me tell you something, the love of God passes that knowledge. It's greater than that knowledge. You can say, yes, but it's written. If, if it, the love of God in Christ, the fact that God, Jesus, became our sin, that he didn't kill anybody, that he loved on people, didn't bring sickness, tried to save people and did his best to save people from death, uh, gave his life, conquered death and sin, is seated as a man at the right hand of the Father from where he is the eternal word about us. If anything contradicts that, I want to tell you, I don't, I want to say like Paul says here, it is a knowledge. But that knowledge is not as great as what was revealed in Jesus. So what he's saying is, the love of Christ passes knowledge. And the knowledge that the, the people in Ephesus had was, that they are not part of the people of God. And the fact that they, were, they were, felt they were not part of the people of God was documented in Scripture, written by the finger of God, given. That is a... So I, I believe that as that truth is there, and we can see the Apostle Paul coming in boldly, actually contradicting what those people believed and what they had as accurate knowledge. And he comes and says, the love of Christ is greater than that knowledge. God loves Gentiles. He also wants to save them. And he comes with a reasoning that says, well, all people are sinners. Jesus took sin upon him, that means he represents all. He died, he was raised, that means his resurrection belongs to all. So who can believe that? And if you can believe that, you can have that. That is what he basically said. And he contradicted, I don't want to, in the word contradict a strong word. The, the re, I understand that the Old Testament scriptures correctly interpreted will point to Jesus. But what I want to try and get at is, if something sounds as if that thing you read cannot reach to what was manifested in Jesus, the love that was manifested in Jesus. Know this, that 
knowledge, that Old Testament knowledge, or whatever knowledge you have, or even if we look at Peter and how he dealt with some folk, or we look at how some of the New Testament people dealt with people, if it doesn't reach the, the level Jesus portrayed when he walked to earth and in his resurrection, know this, you don't have to be afraid to let this knowledge go, because the love of Christ supersedes this knowledge. I want to make it personal as well, because this truth is a universal truth, and it's, it's a holistic truth. What that means is, it is true in, 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 in Old Testament, New Testament, uh, the scenario, as well as in your own life. You might have had knowledge that when you pay your tithes, you prosper. But I want to tell you, there is something, the love of Christ is greater than the experiential knowledge you've had there. It's greater. Amen. Because we could have had negative things. Like um, in South Africa, I remember there was a big a, a time when we had, you know, everything is from the devil. You know, if there was a little angel on your wall, that's from the devil. If there was a demon from the wall, that's from the devil. Superman's from the devil. Pokemon's from the devil. Everything is the devil, the demons, devils, everything. And you might have had an experience where a child brings in a Superman suit into your house, and from that there you had a bad experience. But let me tell you something, the love of Christ supersedes that, is greater than that. Amen. So, this is what he says here. He says, I pray that you might be strengthened, because when the superseding or the passing, the love that passes knowledge comes to you, it's going to shake the core of your belief. It's going to shake you. It's going to be, oh my goodness, is this true? Um, you know, how, how, can, how can this be? You know, it's like um, the one guy uh, put up and he said, um, and I mean, I've heard things like this, not just once, so I'm, just, I'm not beating down one guy, but just to give you this, this, I, this example, one person came and he said, if you tell a lie, he says, God hates lies, Colossians 3.8 says, you should not lie, and if you lie, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira can happen to you, and God can just drop you dead. Now, I, I want to tell you, the Ananias and Sapphira experience, we can look at that and we can look at what it means, but I can tell you now, it doesn't mean that God killed them. It, it doesn't mean that, because the knowledge, the, the, the love of Christ supersedes that knowledge, because you can go to the people at that time and say, what happened to you? They would say, God just killed this guy. But the love of Christ supersedes that knowledge, that experiential knowledge they've had right there. Because we look at Jesus when he, na when he was nailed. While he was nailed, he prayed for people. Uh, while his beard was torn out, he said nothing. Um, in his resurrection, he didn't come to deal with Peter and strike him dead. Never. What did he do? He came and he said to Peter, he said, he said Peter, you're still my disciple. The things he said to Peter and those guys was, go and minister this good news that I, I, I'm resurrected. Even with Judas. The Bible says that a lot of sorrow belongs to the man that will betray the Lord. And I think that talks about as well, not God bringing sorrow on uh, a Judas, but it talks about the sorrow and the, the turmoil. Uh, in Afrikaans it says, a man van smarte. I don't know how to say that in English, but it means, a, oh, the best I can des describe it is depression. Depression belongs to the man that denies me or that betrays me. And that's what happened to to Judas, and I think that it was just too much for him, and he killed himself. So, in the very same, it doesn't mean Jesus killed him, it doesn't mean Jesus removed life from him, it doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't there for him, 
I believe if Judas would have come and, and his heart could have come to the place where he just accepted that Jesus is good, he, he, he could have just been one of the disciples. This, because Peter, in a certain degree, did the same thing. He didn't, he didn't betray, but he denied. He denied the Lord three times. And the Bible says, so did all desert him. All the disciples deserted Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He came to his own. He loved upon them. He was good to them. Amen. So we cannot have, so, so if, if somebody drops dead, like Ananias and Sapphira, we cannot have that knowledge supersede the love of God or exceed or be, go further than the love of God. We can just say, we see this, this, can this be a sign? Can this be a sign and a wonder? I think that's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. It was a sign. The Bible says there'll be signs, wonders, and those kind of things. And I believe that in the end, those that don't believe upon the Lord, they will enter eternal death. And I think that is, it's not God killing them. It is them dying without the life God has provided. So the love of God can, the love of God always supersedes experiential knowledge um, in the law. It always supersedes knowledge, the knowledge of the law, or anything that sounds like God is an angry, bad God, because Jesus didn't portray that. And the love of Christ is, I accept Jew and Gentile. It's not us and them. The love of Christ is, I bring you all, and I want to show you my love that you can be filled with the fullness of God, meaning that you can be co-seated with God in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what it means. So I want to end off by just going to uh, Second Cor uh, is it First Corinthians 8. Let me just get to First Corinthians 8, <clears throat> verse 1. It says, Now, as touching to things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So it says here, as pertaining to, um, you know, sacrifices to idols, we all have knowledge about that. But knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Again, he's coming and he's saying that love is greater than knowledge. And the knowledge is, if you eat of this bad thing, then you are cursed and you're not part. He says, but the love of God supersedes that knowledge. Okay, then it goes on, it says, And if any man think that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. So it means if you are uh, steeped in this message of knowledge, if you are really educated in what I would call Old Testament theology, and you know a lot about all these right and wrongs and how God will judge and how God will end life and how God will punish, you, yet you know nothing as you ought to know. So you can know a lot, yet know nothing. Let me read that. It says, Now as touching to things offered to idols, we know, we, we know that we all have knowledge. We have the knowledge. We know what the Scriptures say. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if any man thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of God. So what he's saying here is that what, when we have love for God, when, when there's a love 
for God, when there's a love for our neighbor, when love has been born in our hearts on account of what Christ has done, then we are known of God. We are experiencing God. God is experiencing uh, um, us. And what he's saying here is that in this knowledge of the old laws, he says, doesn't, if you think you know anything about those idols and know anything about God through that knowledge, you know nothing as you ought to know. So if you think you know God by looking at the Old Testament judgments, if you think you know God by Sodom and Gomorrah, if you think you know God by those things, I want to tell you, you might have a lot of knowledge of what took place there, but you still know nothing as it ought to be known. The way you need to look at, 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 at Sodom and Gomorrah is you need to go and look at how God destroys death. That's it. And if it comes to the end time judgment and man dying, you need to come and realize that that would be a place where man it grabs a hold of the death he always uh, wanted. It is not God wanting to kill anybody. It is death destroying people. God is never at the side of death. He's always on the side of life. Know this, that the knowledge, um, that, that the love of Christ passes. Glory to God. May that help you when you read things that seems, what about this knowledge and that knowledge and that knowledge? Just look at the love of Christ. You know, the Old Testament, they didn't even have the concept of God as a father. They, the, their understanding of God was so shallow that they didn't even know him as a father. Imagine that which in Christianity is the beginning. It is just, the, it's the beginning. So they had, they didn't know God as he ought to be known, but Jesus Christ revealed him. Now let me just read one more passage. Let me just read one more passage. This is a very, very powerful. I can quote it. Let me just quote it. The Bible says that, um, in John, it says that no one has seen the Father. But Jesus Christ came to reveal him. That is it. And what did Jesus reveal? Reveal. He revealed a loving father that saves. He revealed a father that can take a life that is being destroyed and make it new. He revealed a father that can take someone that's depressed, in sin, dying, and make them new. He revealed that he can bring forth holiness and righteousness in a man that has died with all sin. He's revealed that he has ended all sin. He's revealed that he's conquered your death. He's revealed that he's for man and not against man. The Bible he clearly says, the Son of Man has not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And this is condemnation. This is what kills, that people love darkness rather than this light, that people love the knowledge rather than the love of Christ. That is what condemns unto death. Not God. Glory to God. Isn't God good? Guys, thank you so much for watching. I would like to just um, pray for you and then just do one or two announcements. Let us just pray. Father, thank you so much that we can come and gather around this truth. Thank you that you love us and that you care for us. Thank you that people that are watching can, can experience the dimensions of your love. Thank you that you strengthen their hearts. Thank you, Lord, that they can, their hearts can be so strengthened they can let go of the framework and the foundation that they've built their lives on. Thank you for new life that you've come to give us. What an honor to preach this message here today.